good morning and welcome to the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. We have an awesome session for you today. Today's educator is none other than Brandon Robertson, or should I say Professor Brandon Robertson. And the topic is left hand shapes or base. I just want to remind everyone that you're going to be muted upon entry and uh, we, we appreciate your cooperation to remain muted for the courtesy of others. And if you have any uh, questions, you can always use that chat feature down there. Please post questions, anything you want to ask, and we'll reserve some time at the end to ask the questions to the educator. Um, we hope you enjoy today's sessions. There's more upcoming free sessions that we posted at www.clearwaterjazz.com education. And don't forget your feedback on any future session topics are always welcome. You can email us at info at clearwaterjazz.com. So I'm excited about today, but before we jump into it, we want to thank our sponsors. Um, be sure to check out the studio archive of the past video sessions at clearwaterjazz.com education and outreach section. This is brought to you by Blue Water Wealth Management at Stewart Partners and Duke Energy. Uh, don't forget about the Young Lions podcast and streaming wherever you can check out um, streams. And this is brought to us by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. Just search Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Session. So um, just some of the past sessions that Professor Robertson has given. We have Where Do I Begin? How about uh, How to Develop Melodic Baselines? That was a great one. Playing Duo Performances. Practice for two hours a day. Only two? Just two. Okay. <laughs> Constructing bass lines part one and two. So if you're a bass player, I mean, there's a wealth of information you can go back. And we love that conversation that you had with Jameson Ross. So just a little bit about Brandon. He is an Emmy-nominated music director and a professional upright lecture bassist. He's a composer and music educator originally from none other than Tampa, Tampa Florida. <laughs> he completed his Bachelor's of Arts in Music from Florida State in 2009 and a Master's in Music and Jazz Studies in the spring of 2016. Uh, currently, he's a Director of Jazz Studies and Director of the FGCU Basketball Band at Florida Gulf Coast University of Florida, Fort Myers, Florida. In 2018, he was nominated for an Emmy Award for Best Document Documentary for Educational Collegiate Programs, featuring none other than the FGCU Jazz Ensemble. So he is a band leader. He recently had a great performance. He'll probably tell you a little bit more about that. And, and guess what? He's performed with some of the greats of the greats. Um, from Jason Marcellus, we're talking Carmen Bradford, Marty Morrell, and Wyclef Gordon. The, the list goes on and on. So we thank you for being with us, Brandon. And uh, oh, hey, they, they probably don't know this, but maybe they do. He released an album, his debut album, and that's called Based on a True Story. That was released in 2019. Go out there and check them out on iTunes or wherever you can find the streaming and purchase and support these artists. So guess what, Brenda? The stage is all yours. 
Man, this is a pretty big stage to fill, so I'm going to try my best after that introduction. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. And to the entire foundation, the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation, I love you guys very much, and thank you all for always having me back. So, for today's masterclass, here's what we are going to have going on. I want to talk about the left hand. Now, it's very important that everybody knows that the left hand does two things. It A, it helps produce your sound because without the sound, without you pressing down on the string, you produce no sound. The left hand also helps you keep the dexterity and the, 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 legit, uh, the logic of how to fundamentally maneuver around the bass and specifically around the, the fingerboard. Now, what I want to talk about, when I mean by left shapes, I see a lot of young bass players play like this. I call this the quack quack hand. You guys ever see ducks at the pond? Some of you from the Tampa Bay area. We have that nice little pond near downtown. It's very beautiful, right? See the nice little ducks walk across the street. They got the little baby ducks, right? And then sometimes when you come close to it, quack quack, it'll make that sound, right? Well, the flap of their, of their mouths are like this. And if I were to take this shape, or I'll do it for city, I'll do it like this, I'll do it in my left hand. And if I flip it, that's what that looks like. So, we call it the quack quack hand. Now, I won't necessarily go on the record and say that band or orchestra directors or jazz directors, people around the country are going around calling their students quack quacks and ducks. That's not what's going on. But what I'm trying to describe here is this is the shape that most young bass players make because they don't fundamentally know the correct handshake. And when you pick your fingers up, what that does, it changes the tone. Now there's two things about playing the bass that you have to be very aware of. And it's the most important thing. It's your sound and your tone. Those two things matter. This matters just as much, your technique and both your right and your left hand. But your sound and your tone is the most important and the most essential element you need to be a proficient and clear bass player. Okay, so all, for my, all my young bass players who are gonna watch this, you need to understand that your sound and your tone is what everyone is going to associate you with. So, if you have great technique in your left hand, per se, the right hand shape, your sound will come through a lot rounder. Your tone will come through a lot clearer. So every note you play, you get this nice ring versus this. You get that. That's what I hear most of the time. So let's talk about this. Now, I teach my current base students at the university about shapes. I tell them to think guitar players are some of the best musicians in terms of the shapes of their hands and how they're able to create chords. Now we understand that aside from pianists, the guitar can emulate that chordal sound on their instrument. Hence, they need to have certain shapes in their left hand in order to do so. So I always refer to them as to not necessarily think like a guitar, but have the transfer of their left hand and how you see their hand shape is always in a curved 
uh, a curved manner, okay? The fingers are always on top of the string, okay? Their left hand, or at least they're sitting down, so they're obviously uh, horizontal. So like they're, they're, they're like this, but their shape, their wrist is still the same underneath as it would be if you flipped your hand up. So once I was able to show them that transfer, now they understand how to pick their hand up and keep their hand on top of the string. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna lean forward a little bit so everyone can see it. Now, I always tell them about the spacing in between your left hand. Each of these spaces matter because on the bass, especially if you're playing on a bass that doesn't, some, some young basses will have tape or they'll have some markers that indicate where the positions are. But if you're, if you're a student who doesn't have that on your instrument, you need to understand that there are steps. Now, the further up the bass you are, the larger those steps are. So the hand shape does matter in terms of how much space you have in your left hand. So from here to here, that's a whole step. From here to here, in this little space between your middle finger and your ring finger is the half step. That half step position is probably more important because you can be just a, a, a millimeter of a decibel off and be flat or sharp, depending on where your hand, how your hand is shaped. So I always tell them, rule of thumb, for starters, to fix your left hand. There's a couple of things that my that you can do. My teacher always taught me how to do the spider crawl. So you kind of hop in between each strings like this. Hop in between like that. And then what you're doing is you're working on trying to keep the, the knuckles curved. All right, you want those knuckles to stay curved. Those knuckles stay curved, it makes your hands, it, it takes a lot of the pressure off the palm of your hand. So that way your hand doesn't get tired if you're squeezing on the string. Because that's what I hear from a lot of young bass players, like my hand hurts. I was like, well, because we're choking the string. You don't need to choke the string. You just need to apply enough weight on top of the string to where you have to contact, where your fingers have contact with the string onto the fingerboard. So if you do that, you get that sound. When you do the opposite of that, you get that, where you hear that little buzz. And it's, it's kind of like there's, there's, there's weight in your fingers and that's why I always stress about keeping your knuckles kind of pointing and not collapsed, okay? So now showing that, showing that, demonstrating that, I, I was stating earlier that I tell my students about their left hand to think like a guitar and on bass, it's a lot easier because the shapes that you make create intervals. So if you understand and learn that this shape makes this interval, no matter where you play it on the bass, at least from fret one to about 12, which will be wherever you, where your harmonics are, you can play that same shape and it'll create the same, same interval. So for instance, I'm gonna start with, uh, I'm gonna start with C, because C has no sharps, no flats. So, I'm gonna play a major third interval, okay? So if you play C with your fourth finger, you see how all four fingers are down. If I move my top two fingers over, I'm in, I'm in a half position shape at this point. Now, here's the key. 
you always want to have three to four notes in one hand position. Say it again. You always want to have three to four notes in one hand position. This is how you create those shapes and those intervals. So if I were to play the first four notes of the C major scale, that's four notes in this one hand shape. So I'll demonstrate. The only time I really moved my whole hand is when I went to move from C to F. That's four steps, that's four notes away from the root. So therefore, this one hand shape was able to play three notes at the same time without me physically having to move my whole entire hand. That's the key when you see a lot of bass players. I have, I have I've been asked this question a lot. Man, how do you, when are you, move, how, when are you moving your hand? Because your hand looks like it's not moving. Because I have been taught that these shapes will help me create certain intervals where I don't have to do a lot of moving around and I can just stay in the hand, stay in the same hand shape, okay? So that shape here, when I move my two fingers over to the next string, that's a major third. If I move my hand up a half step, still a major third. Still a major third. Same hand shape, right? Now, check this out. If I only move my middle finger back over to the other string and keep my index on the other string, now I've changed it to a minor third. So this is what I, this is another step that I tell my students. When you those half step positions matter because if you're thinking about the chromatics scale, these are all half steps apart. So if you're looking at it from a major, if I just go down another half step, now I have a minor. So once I was able to demonstrate that now my current students have a, a, a fundamental systematic way of how they walk without doing a lot of this. They're doing a lot of hopping around because they don't know how to move, okay? So that's one shape. Those are two shapes that you can do. This is the major third. Now if you reverse, if you reverse these fingers, so you move your first finger over to the other string, and then you move these three fingers over to the other string, like this. So before I was like this, now I'm going to reverse and move over. Now I have a perfect fifth. But then if I move my three fingers over to the last string, now I have an octave. So those shapes, to my young bass players who always ask me, I don't know where the position is. This is the reason why when you're reading your scale books, they have these fingerings. They have these numbers on top of the notes. That's what that's implying. Now most of you who are watching this probably already knew that. But if you did not know, or if you don't understand why they write those fingerings, that is the case. 
those fingerings create those shapes that I'm that I'm referencing to, referencing to. So once you understand that that shape makes that fingering, then you will be totally fine in terms of how to move and, and without having to struggle with that. Okay. So going like this, for instance, going like this. So major, minor. Okay. Then switched fingers. Then you have fifth. But then if you move your second finger back over here, now you have tritone, which is a sharp four. So these shapes matter too, because again, they're half steps apart. Now, as you can see, the shape in my two bottom fingers here, those have to be on top, okay? They have to be on top. If they don't stay on top, then what will happen, you get this kind of, you get this kind of percussive sound. It just starts buzzing, okay? So you gotta make sure that these two bottom fingers here are always on top of the string. Never drop the bottom fingers flat, okay? Now, if you, I'm gonna demonstrate to you how this works. I'm gonna do two things. I'm going to uh, play a, a, a transcribed lick that I took from a Christian McBride solo. I'm gonna play it very slowly, but I'm gonna show you the shape that he has to make to play this particular line. Now, it took me a minute to figure out how he was playing this because A, he plays it very fast, and I never try to slow down music. I try to hear it in real time because that is the most effective way that I'll be able to effectively play it if I hear it how it's supposed to sound and not kind of uh, speeds that are slower. So when I took this particular lick, I realized, I was like, oh, wow, he's playing a chord. He's actually playing... He, I mean, he's outlining it, but when I went to do the shape, I was like, wow, this is the shape like a guitar player, like how a guitar player would strum this chord. So it made me have an aha moment, like, wow, okay. So that's why folks like Buster Williams, bass players like Buster Williams, or bass players like uh, Sean and Moffitt, or bass players like Ron Carter, where, you're, where you see videos of them, they, they know how to play these very intricate chords on the bass and you're like, how are they doing that? And it's the shapes, they figured out that these shapes make these same chords. And if I'm able to construct my hand in the same position, I will be able to do that anywhere on the bass, okay? So this is from a blues, from an E flat blues that he plays, uh, forget the name of the blues, so please forgive me off the top of my head, but it's off the album Out of Nowhere. It's a trio record with Ulysses Owens and Christian Sons. And he does this lick, it's, it's an E flat diminished. That's, that's the triad that he's outlining. Now, the, the particular lick that he's playing is this. Now, I'm playing it very slowly because I want to show you how those shapes matter. Now, if he played it the way some other folks would hear, young, a young bass player would kind of hear that, 
and you would think, oh, I could play it like this because you're only taught up in this region. So if you're doing a, it's like uh it's kind of all over the place so your train of thought will not be able to match how to play that particular line without having to do a lot of work so what he did was he's like okay i figured i could play the shape like this that's the shape that he has in his hand so if you strum it that is a e flat diminish you have to you have the root, you have the minor third, and you also have the other minor third of the A natural on top, right? So you have this now. So now if I move it up, uh, just a half step, go up another half step. So that's what I mean in terms of once you figure out what the shape is, it makes it a lot easier for you to facilitate, okay? So my second, my second and last point is when you're walking a blues, for instance, I always try to have my bass students say, test yourself in your left hand when you make these shapes by playing a real simple blues. The easiest blues that you can facilitate those kind of shapes and do that with is B flat and F because you can start on your two lower strings, okay? If you try to start on C, then that's gonna kind of require you, if you're not familiar with the, how the blues work, it's gonna require you to do some shifting. So those two, those two uh, particular blues, your open strings will become a lot of handy so you don't have to do a lot of moving. So I'm gonna demonstrate that real quick, okay? So if I was doing F, Okay, and I understand that these shapes create certain intervals to where I don't have to move a lot. Okay, so that's pretty much my point for today. My, my, just to kind of recap, the most important thing is that your left hand, the shapes that you make, help produce your sound and your tone. So if both or if you struggle with both, you're going to not have an opportunity to play in tune or play really flat like this, okay? So that, that pretty much concludes what I have going on right now. And uh, yeah. Okay, Professor, thank you so much for that yeah. awesome information that you shared with us. So a couple quick questions. Um, mm -hmm. Aside from transcribing, uh, are there any technical studies uh, out there for a young bass player to kind of get out of that first position and get out of having to jump around a lot 
you know, to get used to shifting because then we know some some young players they, they start maybe on the orchestra side, you know, and mm-hmm. I know that's a different type of training. So what kind of technical settings would you say are out there um, that are good to look into? So I would recommend um, the John Patitucci's uh, 60 Melodic A2 book. Um, that that book, it, you go through all the, it goes through every single scale and it's written out as an A2, like a jazz A2. So on bass, it requires you to arco. So for bass players who do not arco, that's the best book for you to get and, and venture right into it. Uh, for those of you who are already playing arco and play jazz bass, this is a wonderful bass or a wonderful uh, book for you to inquire for um, for more technical uh, proficiency with the bow and your intonation and also in your left hand, your technique in your left hand. It's very melodic. That's why it's called the melodic 68 tooth. And it also goes through every scale uh, for each chord. So for instance, it'll have like melodic minor mode scales, harmonic minor mode scales, natural minor, augmented, diminished, uh, Dorian, natural minor, um, you name it, man. It, it goes through all of them and they have etudes for all of them for each scale. So that's a book that I would recommend. The Carl Flush, uh, Flush uh, scale system. It's, it's a green book. It says Carl Flush. It's a basis. And that book uh, goes through a different series of rhythmic scalar exercises. So for instance, in the key of C, it'll go like kind of a... go through triplets, sixteenths, eighths, dotted eighths, sixteenths. It'll go through different rhythmic patterns, but just the scale. So that book is kind of working with you on proficient rhythm. And then also the scale itself, figuring out different ways to play it. Here, it'll start the scale in the second quadrant, then it'll move up to the third quadrant, and then it'll uh, end in the thumb position. So those two books are the ones I would highly recommend. Now, I noticed you mentioned about hand placement. Um, Have you ever had students that they've developed a bad habit of hand placement and just producing good sound? Uh, What were some of the things that you did to kind of help them get out of that bad routine to get back on track? And how long does it usually take to break that habit of maybe, you know, your fingers not being in the right place and things like that? So I have a lot of students who started on electric and switched from electric to upright. So that's why I described the duck hand first because this this kind of technique is okay for electric. I'm not saying that you have to play flat like this, but it wouldn't necessarily damage your technique in terms of getting around the instrument because the neck is a lot smaller. So your hand obviously wrapping around it can do a lot more. Um, so. I I would say that after about maybe a month, if they practice with their hand on top of the string like this and doing this effectively, then they they should be able to break that habit. But then I was gonna say too, it also depends on the student because I, I've seen both sides of it where the student will want to um, the student will want to keep their hand like this and then it just doesn't fix itself and then I have students who after two weeks 
their hand is like this and their intonation like changes. It's like now they can start hearing themselves like, like oh wow, I didn't know I sound like that. That's exactly what will happen if you change your hand. So to answer your question, the the most effective way, and I would say after like a month, month and a half, the playing the bass is very hard. It's not an instrument that you can just do in two weeks and you say, okay, I think I got it. Like it doesn't work that way, you know. You have to, I tell my students, you have to practice every day. Like for every day you don't practice, you lose a couple of days of reten retention of stuff that you was working on. So it's not gonna work out for you. So to answer your question, the left hand, they have to practice these exercises like that spider crawl I was showing or um, practicing making those shapes, you know, so their hand knows what to do. If they don't, if it doesn't do that, if it kind of, they keep playing like this, what ends up happening is they keep, they'll end up creating carpet tunnel in their, in their, in their, right there in their wrist because there's a tendon, this whole tendon right here that's connected to these two fingers, that muscle, that's the most sensitive muscle in your hand. So, or at least in, when you're playing, that's the most sensitive part of your hand. So that's the part that most bass players, if you see bass players, they'll go like this, they're rubbing that muscle because that's where the most tension is because you got to think you're pressing in from your thumb. That's the, that's a lot of weight. Believe it or not, it may not look like it, but you got one finger trying to produce a massive amount of weight and resistance against something versus your fingers kind of balancing that weight out. So that's why a lot of students will play flat like this because it's, it, it feels better. But over time, you're actually gonna make your hand hurt more when you start playing in the right shape because your hand was so used to playing flat and now you're extracting that muscle and now you feel it, it it'll feel real tense. Okay, so I don't know if that answers your question or not, but. Well, it sounds like the bass is a pretty physical uh, activity. You know, I'm pretty sure trumpet is a good instrument to learn as well, um, to not have to right. go into that. <laughs> but no, uh, also, <laughs> you know, with the bass is so very important. I mean, being in the rhythm section, um, I know when I hear groups, that rhythm section sets the tone of the whole entire performance. So uh, bass players, whether you're seasoned or new, please listen to this great information that Professor Brandon has put out here because you are the foundation of what we're hearing in all of these performances. So that was some great information. I learned a lot with the different changes. Um, and I know it's, this is not an overnight process. And like you explained, right. it takes daily practice right. and just a lot of transcribing and listening. So uh, we wanna thank right. you again for this great session. I wanna remind everyone, you can always go to our website, www.clearwaterjazz.com slash education and check out all these great sessions. Please, please, please go out and tell other people the things you're hearing here with Clearwater Jazz and invite more people. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next one. All right. Thank have you guys. An awesome day, everybody. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Thank you all.
Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, other special events throughout the year, and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.